You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Network. Everybody across the land, here's a special from SequelCast, though I don't know what it's gonna be about. Maybe Woody Allen, maybe Spike Lee. Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a podcast typically typically looking at movies in a franchise, uh, one film at a time. But this time around we're doing kind of a broader topic about food and movies, and we have a very special guest. You might recognize him from his Instagram account, his uh, or his work as a writer on The uh, the Simpsons, Mission Hill, and others. Bill Oakley, welcome to the SequelCast. Hello, it's great to be here looking at your Instagram, I think one thing that jumped out is I like that you don't really have food snobbery because you pick, you visit like fast food, but also restaurants, like a good mixture of things, food carts, which we have a lot of here in Portland and where I'm based out of as well. Uh, Was that sort of a conscious choice from the beginning when you started doing those videos? You know, it was not a conscious choice so much as just wanting to showcase the food I regularly eat, which is a fair amount of fast food, but also it's probably about 60% local food carts and other stuff like snack. Like I often do stuff uh, on my Instagram story that is stuff like the new flavor of Cheetos or, you know, these potato chips I found or the 7-Eleven Thanksgiving sandwich. So, you know, I would say it's a pretty low rent. I mean, this is what the whole part, the philosophy of this of my Instagram and the steamed hams society, which is the offshoot of the kind of club for people who like this kind of food is, you know, there's enough places reviewing fancy restaurants. There's the Zagat guide, there's the Michelin stars and all that stuff, but there's nobody reviewing this kind of stuff. And, and there's certainly nobody categorizing it or rating it, or even saying like, here are the best new Cheetos flavors of the year. Or, I mean, there, I guess there's, there's some websites doing that, but I, I don't count them. So what we're trying to do is, is bring this kind of food that I would say is what everyday food uh, for most people into, you know, to give it a little bit more of a push. Definitely. I mean, uh, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia in a bit overseas uh, as a kid. And my dad would talk about Jack in the box, like it was the Holy grail, but I didn't get to experience <laughs> until moving out here. And once a year I'll go to the Jack in the box. Uh, I think their breakfast Jack is a pretty good sandwich for what it is. They have some good stuff at Jack in the Box. I mean, everybody knows those tacos that they have, which I, which they, which they try to position as like a stoner, like late night food. But there's mm-hmm. something about them, especially the the deluxe or super tacos with the lettuce and stuff in them that are they're really I don't know craveable. I don't like that term, but that's what they are. Um, they also have a couple of other things, some burgers that are great, and some side dishes that are great. Like their jalapeno poppers are absolutely magnificent, and their onion rings are the best onion rings in all of fast food. Also, you don't need to advertise for stoner food if it's delicious and there's stoners <laughs> yeah. out there. They'll discover it. Don't worry. They'll, they'll find it. <laughs> they did. They've really leaned into the stoner food thing in the past couple of years, that Jack in the Box with their late night menus and the boxes that are just loaded with like 
seven different fried <laughs> side <laughs> dishes. So I guess, Alex, we, we were talking before we started recording the show. You've actually worked in restaurants most of your life, both uh, in front of the house and back of the house. Yeah, when uh, front of the house lately, I got my black shirt on and everything so I can I can scoot out the door after we record. Um, but yeah, uh, over the years, there's been kind of like this kind of like I meant like that you mentioned um, that you have focus on more casual fast food and snacks and stuff like that. Cause not only is it more relatable, but like it's more um, it's more relatable in a way that like if I'm on a diet or if I'm going to, you know, uh, splurge and, um, you know, uh, cheat, I'm not going to make a Coco Vaughn. I'm going to, you know, eat a Wendy's burger. I'm going to buy, you know, like you said, the latest flavor of Cheetos. Totally. And I think, I, I think it, that Portland more than most cities, I don't know, maybe, maybe more than any city, except for maybe like Cincinnati or Chicago has, absolutely delicious everyday food by everyday food. I think we already, I set up, I set that up, you know, like you can come here and you can have an incredibly fancy meal at Khan and Kennard and Eam and all these places, which are all great, but you'd be missing out if you didn't go to at least a few food carts. If you didn't go to Jojo and you didn't go to DeMarco's and places or Burger Stevens, because you can get the, but some of the best burgers of your life at these places or the best chicken sandwiches or, uh, you know, the best Italian subs. It's like we have absolutely um, magnificent choices all up and down the board in, in things like pizza, sandwiches, hot dogs, um, you know, and, and anything like that here. So like people, when they come, we have a guide, the Steam Ham Society that, that people get when they come here to make sure that they don't like spend their time eating in the hotel. You know, that's like what people do. My, my relatives, when they come here, is like we had a, oh, we had a delicious sandwich at the Marriott Cafe. And I'm like, guys, you, you wasted a meal that right. you should have been eating at Burger Stevens or whatever. But so that's, yeah, that's kind of what I, what I, what I like to tell people who are visiting Portland. So yeah. uh, Mina Thrasher, first time, uh, long time listener, first time caller. Uh, <laughs> I, I simply must know, what is the future of tacos? That is a great question. Let me tell you, if one food could be invented that can't, that current can't currently be invented, it'd be microwave tacos for me. I know it's hard because microwave tacos, the, the hard thing about tacos is you got a lot of cold elements. You know, you, you got the lettuce and you got the, the little cubed tomatoes and other things like that. If there were some device that could make tacos that were, you know, at Taco Bell quality at home quickly, that would be, that's what I think the frontier of tacos are. Now, as far as other tacos, I think we have, honestly, we have a huge selection of them here in Portland of mainly soft tacos, like Taqueria Los Pernales, if you guys have been there on Belmont, they got an incredible selection of soft tacos with various, all sorts of different uh, fillings of every description. That's my favorite place for stuff like that. Um, but in terms of what's the future of tacos, I think it's probably introducing more exotic fillings more seafood filling, you know, squid, things of that nature it, to a more casual, like Taco Bell <laughs> type environment. I know that'll be a long time coming, but that's the future. Well, I mean, there's, um, you know, Taco Bell did Dorito flavored uh, container. I just going to say container. That's not the right word. The shell for the taco. taco you shell, could do yeah. squid ink taco shell. You could absolutely. Do, they did those uh, blue ones like earlier mm -hmm. this year, they did blue ones, but I think that yeah. there's, I mean, perhaps slightly more daring choices of fillings within the taco might be the the future of commercial tacos but honestly if somebody could invent <laughs> microwave tacos i would really appreciate it if you think about a taco 
20 years ago when we were growing up, it was a hard shell taco with ground beef. And now it's like, I can't picture anything that's not that like, you know, compact disc size, soft tortilla with braised meat, braised pork, braised, you know, so and forth and so on. Very true. Very true. That like, I don't think I ever had soft tacos until maybe 15 years ago ever. You know, mm. that as you said, the goal, the normal taco was a hard shell taco and soft tacos kind of blew my mind, even though that apparently was the normal thing. In Mexico, from what I gather, like soft tacos were the general, like hard shell tacos were kind of popularized in America by Taco Bell. Um, and, and only a few restaurants served them, like the place in San Bernardino uh, that Taco Bell took them from. But um, the, the soft taco now is the thing. I think I honestly like them both. I like soft tacos and hard shell tacos. They both have a, a place in my culinary lexicon. <laughs> yeah, they have their place. And the, the, the hard shells are good because, you know, you can make a salad and you can modify, you know, yeah. it's a glorified chip, basically. Well, and I, I like what you said about tacos. You didn't have soft tacos until you were older. And it, it was something I recognized from movies, certainly, but it was a while until I got to put my hands and, and more importantly, my mouth on one. Uh, and yet with, um, I'm thinking about, you know, one thing growing up, my parents used to do something to butter their corn in the cob. Uh, that's from, I believe, uh, uh, an early Albert Brooks movie where you put a plate with a piece of bread on it, spread butter on the bread, and roll the corn in it. I, I've seen that. I, I, I think I know what movie you're talking about. I don't remember which one it was. But uh, yes, I have never done that myself, but I have seen it done. It's, uh, it's a good technique. I mean, it's not as fun. I think part of the fun with corn in the cob is just the sloppiness of it. And yeah. it's perhaps a bit too dainty using a uh, bread as a, the surface area for, yes. for spreading. Can, can you think of a, a film maybe where you, you watched, uh, Bill, that had food in it and you're like, I have to try that out. I don't know what the hell that is, but that looks very tasty. Man, it's tough to come up with one off the top of my head, uh, especially if it's not a food-related movie. Like, in mm, sure. the movie, the food-related movie that most does that for me is Big Night. You guys ever see Big Night? Oh, oh yeah. Yes. The, yeah. Yes. I mean, that's a foodie movie if there ever was one. And, like, every one of those dishes. I mean, I love, like, red sauce Italian. I, I love red sauce, regular old Italian, you know, stereotypical dishes like lasagna, ravioli, and that play, that movie had so much of, as well as other fancy dishes. But that's the one that that captures my imagination more than any other one. Um, I also will say that in cartoon, <laughs> in Blonde, in the comic strip Blondie, which has been around for about seventy five oh. years, every time he makes one of those sandwiches, the famous Dagwood sandwich that Dagwood invented, I always that makes me kind of hungry. Oh, and also pizza and Archie. There's they, they have, there's they have the world's most rudimentarily drawn pizzas in Archie uh, and cheeseburgers too at Pop's Chocolate Shop. Those also make me hungry. I don't know. I like simplicity in my <laughs> in my food like that. Yeah, it's very easy. Like, I mean, pizza is the classic example to overdo it, or you have five million toppings. And and out here in Portland, we have the pizza shoals and oh, pop pizza is one uh, yeah. my wife and I have been enjoying a lot. Although it's you know it's a bit of an effort uh, to get, but it's not not difficult. You just have to show up early enough, and that's. Uh, I've been glad the food cart scene is still doing pretty well after all the pandemic stuff. Yeah, I think the food carts actually did, as a whole, probably did slightly better at the pandemics because it was the place to go. You can eat outside and you didn't have to worry about, you know, being cooped up inside with people. Like it, it was, uh, there was more, certainly more food carts opened during the pandemic than have opened since it ended or or nominally ended. But the, um, yes, the, there's, and there's a ton of great pizza in this town. Don't forget also Pizza Jerk which is terrific and uh, bridge city, which never gets yes. any publicity, but actually has my favorite, probably my favorite pizza in town. 
So it's funny you mentioned uh, Dagwoods. I, I had the pleasure of eating at an actual licensed Dagwoods sandwich shop that we used to have in, in Lexington. And it huh. it kind of lived up to its name. You can make that kind of sandwich there. So ever uh, since I was a kid, uh, I have wanted to eat the giant rack of ribs from the Flintstones. I was wondering if there's if there's any fictional, maybe even outright impossible food. Like if if you could if you could get any food from any media, no matter how preposterous, what's the one that you want to taste? I I would think I already said it. It would be Ar- Archie's. It would be our, oh, yeah. our pizza and hamburgers from Pop's Chocolate Shop in Archie, which don't even look all that great, but there's something about them. And hamburger, I mean, pop, by, by the way, comic strip, Popeye, I think we all know that, we, I mean, Wimpy popularized the cheeseburger to a large extent, and they have Wimp, Wimpy's as a chain in, in the UK. So, yeah, that's one that has made the actually real world leap from being comic strip food to real food. It, uh, it didn't do spinach any favors, though, because it just no. looks disgusting every damn time. <laughs> no, spinach really never caught on despite that 70 years of relentless hype. Yeah, and um, I almost had a chance to go to Malta earlier this year, and had I gone, I would have gone to. They still have the original sets and everything from the 80s Popeye film with Robin Williams. I, just saw, I heard that. That's incredible. Left them up there. I, I didn't get to go, but I have to follow up with some friends who did, but that's... It's just amazing what sticks around, what doesn't. Again, Popeyes, that's one where, although the restaurant was named after uh, uh, Popeye Doyle, the character from that, the French Connection, that is they be had the lie. licensing. I've been obsessed with this topic this month, this week, actually, because <laughs> there's a number of different places that claim that they didn't steal the name, and they did. Obviously, Popeyes, Popeyes yes. has been named for 35 years that they're named after Popeye Doyle. That, that's obvious. That seems like a total lie that they did to, mm. avoid, to avoid getting sued. And Skippy Peanut Butter is the same thing. Skippy was named after, was clearly named after a popular comic strip of the 30s that was about a little boy named Skippy because it even had the same logo. They copied the logo on the Skippy peanut butter. And again, this has been a source of lawsuits that was gone back and forth for 70 years amongst the family of the, of the cartoonist and Skippy. And there's another one like that that clearly, I wish I could remember it right now, but I remember a third one where it's like you took the name, obviously, but you're just, oh, oh, baby Ruth. Baby Ruth is the third one where they claimed that it wasn't named after Babe Ruth, the world's most famous baseball player, but was in fact named after the child of the baby of President Garfield from like 30 years earlier. That's also an obvious transparent lie. But I'd say Baby Ruth, Skippy and Popeyes are places that all took the name from something else. They didn't want to get sued and they made up the story that now we consider to be canon, which in retrospect seems rather preposterous in all three cases. I mean, every time I get fried chicken at Popeye's, I always think of, you know, Gene Hackman's racist cop from that 1970s. (laughs) No, the French connection, not, you know, the lovable cartoon character. (laughs) It takes us a bit off of food, but I think my favorite episode of Mission Hill is Plan 9 for Mission Hill, just because I'm I'm such a a B-movie fanatic. And there's a lot of loving attention to detail in that. And like you can... Every time I look at that, I can just see all the influence of the man from Planet X uh, all over that episode. I just got to wonder, what is your go-to B-movie? Oh, that's a great question, man. I don't know that I have any, like, si- like first of all, I should say that that episode was a lot of that came from Dan McGrath's head. He was the guy who wrote that, and he had an encyclopedic knowledge of that sort of thing. So my, uh, man, I... I wish I had been prepared. I wish I had these questions in advance. So I could have looked, I could have researched them a little bit. My favorite B movie is like, I don't know that I've seen any of them that many times. You know, I have comedy movies that people, I have, I have comedy movies that I wouldn't really consider B movies 
that I like, uh, most notably Cold Turkey, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. I wouldn't really call it a B movie, but uh, if you're interested in, in in classic comedies, this is from 1970, I think. Cold Turkey is about his whole town that tries to quit smoking to win this to win 25 million dollars. Stars Dick has every sitcom star of like 1970 in it, starring Dick Van Dyke. And it's really fun. It was written by Norman Lear, I think, or, or Bud oh. Yorkin, or a couple of those guys. It's really funny, and it's, it used to be on TV all the time, like late at night. Um, so that's, I would say, you know, B movie. I don't have any sci-fi B movies that I love enough to have seen them multiple times. Uh, but as a B comedy movie, Cold Turkey can't be beat. Thanks so much for coming on, Bill, to talk about some food with us. Where can people catch your Instagram at? People can catch my Instagram at that Bill Oakley. And if you're interested in joining the f- club of people who like food, everyday food like this, go to steamedhamssociety.com. That's named for that famous Simpsons thing that I wrote uh, many years ago, that's that sketch, which has been evolved into steamed hams. But the club is for people as all over the country. And we have a lot of, you know, we have live streams, we have discords, we have merchandise, and we spend every all day, every day talking about <laughs> the latest fast food items cheetos regional things and stuff like that and it's a lot of fun well good well thanks thanks again so much for for coming on it was a it was a blast fantastic thank you for having me it was a fun conversation sequel cast 2 and friends is a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time hosted by me matt bradley shuri alex and thrasher we also look at video games we're working through sierra online's adventure games from mystery house all the way up through gabriel knight 3 and larger pop culture topics it's a lot of fun for more info go to sequelcast2.com only on the tokyo beat network Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. On this special episode, we are looking at food in the movies. So this could be, you know, montage scenes of people eating that are enjoyable, uh, stuff in, in media or comics, people enjoying food, or even snacks we like at movie theaters. The whole gamut. Uh, I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shurgy, with me as Thrasher. The Candy Man. Or Candy Woman. You know how it is. And Alex, I've been trying to gnaw on this DVD of Richard Linklater Slacker, but it don't taste so good. <laughs> oh, I wish I'd come up with that one. <laughs> they say I'm a slacker, but you ever seen anyone else eat a whole DVD one bite at a time? Didn't think so. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> how, how, hey, you know what tastes to... good? Surprisingly bad taste by Peter Ooh. Jackson. <laughs> Bad taste may be the best tasting one of them all, except for the cook, the lover, the wife, and her thief. The thief is the best part of that uh, little foursome there. It's kind of the corner in the end that's starting to wobble a bit. Okay. Any, from, it also has straight. Michael Gambon. I tell you what, Shug, you come down to the diner, you order a slice of our Tinker Tailor Soldier pie. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's why um, he's always smiley. Oh, jeez. Oh, that's yeah okay so yeah anyhow uh, so that's a let me just shoot myself uh, at the top of the episode we we just let's just do this again at the top of the episode you just heard an interview we did with Bill Oakley a writer on the Simpsons who has been called the Gordon Ramsay of fast food uh, who has a great Instagram that reviews all not just fast food but mostly fast food stuff in a real kind of quick snappy very punchy funny way uh, and. Uh, and, and that was a, a fun interview to do with Bill, of course. Um, he, he's perhaps best known for writing the steamed ham sketch on The Simpsons. Mmm, steamed hams. And 
so with that, you know, when you think about food in movies and TV show and, and also snacks in the movies, I think we'll talk about in the second half of the show. There's just really a lot to, to go on. So we'll, I think we'll, we'll do this like round robin and um, try not to go over too much of the same content we did with the interview with Bill. So the interview, uh, fuck me, the an early scene I can remember where someone's eating something and I just started sort of like salivating and was really wanting to to eat that is uh, a scene in a movie I, I g- in general don't like, um, Signs from M. Night Shyamalan. And it's uh, the family uh, where Mel Gibson is the father, they're all kind of holed up in the house and they think they're going to, you know, it's going towards the third act. You think they're they're going to be attacking whatever um, force is causing all these problems. And he asks the kids, what do you want for dinner? And each one says something different. And then it cuts to a dinner table full of like, fried chicken and Chinese food and this and that, like uh-huh. it's the most elaborate spread ever. So is it, is it the variety of food that attracts you to that? Or does it speak to something in your own dining experience? I think I can be so, you know, I'd like to sort of experience a little bit of, of everything, despite that I'm not a big fan of buffets, but it, it just, just kind of like a dinner with everything. I think it, it was sort of appealing. Like every, every dish, I think the way it was prepared, the way it was shot just looks so scrumptious. And, and it was just such I, an, it's just absurd. Like how much time do you spend cooking that stuff from scratch? Cause they yeah. lived in an area where I don't think you can get takeout. I love that. It's a funny um, punchline too, because it's like in the moment it's um, like, you're going to rattle off like what you'd have for a last meal. Cause these people are like, cowering in fear. Mm-hmm. And then actually seeing all those like, you know, far out suggestions come to life is kind of a good punchline too. Alex, is there, can you, we'll just go around giving examples of scenes we like about food and movies, or it could be comic books. Like we mentioned Dagwood earlier talking to, to Bill Oakley. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, so there are, there are so many to go from, I think, um, one of my earliest, like that's delicious memory was, well, I'd say a quick one was blinky in the Simpsons, actually the three eyed fish. <laughs> I want to just fucking fish so bad. Really? Just cause of the eyes. It was just, it looked good. Like, I, I assigned it a flavor <laughs> in my head, and it was, like, Old Bay and, like, mm. I don't know. It was, like, Old Bay and, like, a, a Cheez-It. Because it was, oh, like, the, the color. Fish. Yeah. You know, I, I guess, a, like, Goldfish would be more apt, but I was thinking Cheez-Its, because I like to be contrary. Um, even I never, five. I never wanted to eat it, but you're right. When I first saw that episode, my brain assigned a flavor to it. And that yeah. flavor has stuck with me anytime I rewatch that episode. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, to this day, I would totally, if I could portal myself into the Simpsons, I would eat that goddamn fish. And probably die right. of poisoning. Thrasher, I believe, have you been to the, the Simpsons area of Universal Studios? I have not, but I wonder if they yes. have, like, a, a, a the fish on the menu. Y- you know, they... I didn't see it. We, we, they have like several places you can eat. We went to the Krusty Burger. It wasn't on the menu at Krusty Burger. I didn't think to check because hmm. I think there is like a frying Dutchman stall. It, well, th- there's a very <laughs> nice. good chance I'm going back next year. I will check in on that. Nice. Yeah, certainly. It's, uh, it's really yeah, cool. Blinky fish fillet. <laughs> Three eyes fish <laughs> fillet. That would be it. Yeah, the right. eyes could be like little dots of of mayonnaise with like squid ink for the pupils. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's quite something. I um. But what about you, Thrasher? Like, what's something that kind of jumps out with you with food and and film? 
Well, if we're, if we're going if we're going to like earliest memories, I think my earliest yeah. memory of, of like food on film is the 1940 Aunt Disney's animated Pinocchio. There, Ooh, yes. there's and, and it comes in sort of like three, and it's strangely enough, it comes in three scenes: the first act, the second act, and the third act. Because in the first act, the day Pinocchio goes missing, Geppetto has prepared this big, sumptuous, I think it's supposed to be a Christmas dinner. I think mm. there's an implication that it's a holiday-related. But there's uh-huh. just... And and the food in this animated film is rendered... There is no better word for it. It is rendered pornographically. Yeah. They, mm. they clearly sure. want your taste buds to start firing, even though you can't taste this food. And there's like this amazing looking Turkey. There's just the richest chocolate cake you could ever see. Uh, And, and in front of Figaro, the cat is this uh, fish just covered in butter and chives and uh, a a slice of citrus with what I think is supposed to be salmon roe on it. Mm. And it's just like looking at that, I can smell it and imagine what it tastes like. That is a meal I I want. Uh, and then second act, when Pinocchio, after a performance, is talking with Stromboli, the guy who runs the, the puppet show. And Stromboli, it's not nearly as sophisticated a meal. It's just whole cloves of garlic, cheese, butter, uh, and fresh-baked bread but he's eating it and slice. He's slicing it all and eating it with such gusto. I like it. it just it looks. It just looks like a good quick meal. Like if if I don't have time to cook, I'm just gonna have the salami sandwiches he's making. <laughs> uh, and then finally, on Pleasure Island, where it's the boys smoking cigars, playing pool, and drinking beer. Even as a kid, I assigned a flavor to that beer. And that flavor sticks mm. with me, even though I've had real beer now. I and hope like, so, yes. Like, in, in my head, it tastes like cream soda but with a lot of bite. And, like, I want to drink that cartoon beer. And this is the Pinocchio that doesn't eat poop, unlike the 2022 Pinocchio. Correct, correct. Yes, okay. Yes, it's, it's not the, the Pinocchio by way of John Waters. Yeah, I was in <laughs> Disney World uh, a, a few months ago. Um, when we had way too much packed in one day, we did over 35,000 steps or something. And um, I was shocked to see they had a Pinocchio restaurant there now in Fantasyland called the Pinocchio Village House. But on the menu, I'm not seeing a lot of uh, John Waters Presents Puppet Trouble. Very good pressure. Um, <laughs> well, I looked, at, I looked at that same menu. It's like the stuff you can get anywhere. Pizza, meatball sub. Like there's nothing. Chicken strips. No, it's very boring. Like it. there's not even a uh, a Pinocchio nose baguette or something like <laughs> nothing has has the real theme like it, it looks like a, a stereotypical german i did pick through the windows and stuff it looks like a typical sort of germanic um kind of umpapa restaurant thing but which is weird because the story is italian and the movie set in italy <laughs> yes and then but house h-a-u-s that's that's german right like oh my gosh you're right so yeah it's quite and it's also on a very I think they have some of these things they, they've added that are more sit-down restaurants where they can charge higher prices. Um, but yeah, nothing speaks Italian like a Brazil nut cake. Coffee Brazilian nut cake featuring flavors of Brazil with passion fruit curd and milk chocolate mousse. Oh, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Um, oh boy. Oh, oh. 
Oh, oh let's spend let's spend two hundred dollars on on TV dinners so you can buy in a park. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, back to the topic. Yeah. So we are. So what else? There's um. I like you said the Simpsons before because like something that jumps out uh, to me that when I was watching like a bootleg of the Simpsons before moving back to the States was from I, I believe it's season one where it's the sushi episode is that right yeah the that fish? Sushi looked good too oh yeah, yeah that looked good I never even heard of sushi you know I didn't my, my family didn't uh, uh, other than Chinese food you know it didn't really eat stuff that was so unusual until we got a bit um, older what do I say unusual that's not the right word but you know stuff that's not sort of Americana food uh, and I think it was maybe 13 or, or, or something where we, we had friends visiting and, and they took us to a, a, a nice sushi dinner and, uh, and it's still one of my favorite cuisines. I'm pretty picky about the, the fish simply because I've had it spoiled for me in Tokyo years ago. Yeah. But and yeah, like, like, uh, that, that sushi looks fantastic. And also there's that line where Bart literally says, isn't that raw fish? And it's confirmed, and that did not dissuade me. Yeah, well, and I think, I think you're it, you're educating the audience in a way because a lot of audiences yeah. didn't have sushi at that time, or American audiences. Um, I mean, like rate. unless you were in like L.A. and you're like a stockbroker or something. Yes, like that. L.A., New York, Chicago. <laughs> but like you, you know, know out in freaking Dumbledum, freaking Taxachusetts, I never heard none of that sushi, y'all. I mean, they they, they talk yeah. about that on the audio commentary for that episode. Uh, one fish, two fish, uh, blowfish bluefish or something on or, or, or something like that i forget i forget the exact uh the exact title um but there yeah it introduced a lot of people to the very concept of sushi but it also just has one of my favorite exchanges like because the act the specific line is you know this, this might be just like schoolyard talk but isn't that just raw fish uh and uh lisa <laughs> kind of leans in and says well once again the schoolyard misses the point entirely but does have the facts but in Japan, <laughs> it's quite the delicacy. <laughs> yeah, and you, you have uh, one of, if not the first example of a celebrity doing a voice in there. George Takei voices the uh, the um, guy working at the sushi place. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's awesome. I mean, but he's been doing animation stuff and voiceover his whole career. I mean, one of, um, you know, he's, he's known best, of course, for uh, Sulu and the original Star Trek. But he, it, as, as a teenager uh, actor... He did some of the English voice dubs for um, Rodan and uh, some of the early Godzilla movies. Very nice. So there you go. The more you know. Um, yeah, I mean, and the the sushi was, was done very well. And um, I, I did some research into it. And ironically, uh, do you know what caused the rise of Japanese restaurants in the U.S. in the early 80s? Uh, no, I'm assuming I'm assuming it has something to do with just like the the changing of economic fortunes between America and Japan at the time. I think it was Michael Chimino's Year of the Dragon. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're closer, Alex, but no, it even is. though that's Chinese, actually. <laughs> oh shit! Oh jeez! I meant uh, um, it, Black Rain it, with Michael Douglas. Nope, the success of the miniseries Shogun. Oh shit! Huh. James Clavel, yeah, yeah. Yep. Was very um, and I, I'm sure there's some scenes of, of food eating in that. I haven't seen that one in years, jeez. But but yeah, that's that's one that kind of you know just like Crocodile Dundee made Outback Steakhouse a, a thing despite not having any Australian food in the menu um, <laughs> as well. You don't nary a meat pie is found on there, but 
Yeah, thinking about, I mean, so that, that's, that's one that jumps out to me. What about you, uh, Alex? It's another one for you. There's <clears throat> this phenomenal um, Dutch movie, Babette's Feast. Have you heard of this one? Ooh. I, I've heard of it, ne- never seen it. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a Danish film from 87. And it's about this, um, this like incredibly pious Protestant sisters living out in the remote Jutlands in Denmark. And they like eat in this thing called like beer soda or something. It's bread beer or something like that. It's like, you Mm. know, you can't eat something delicious because that's like too freaking indulgent because you're really into God. Um, And then they happen happen across this uh, woman, uh, Babette, played by uh, Stéphane. Uh, Adron, the uh, fantastic French actress, and she um, is something of a uh, cuisine and knows her way around a kitchen. So she begins to cook for these women, and they're like, "Oh, holy moly, moly! This is freaking! This is great! This is better than that weird, horrible Protestant shit we were eating." Um, and it be- kind of becomes this like kind of hot topic around the village because they're like, "What are these like? You know." Uh, extravagant people doing you know they're eating like these like you know like they're noble harlots or something like that so she actually cooks them like a real french dinner but it actually causes like upset amongst the village but oh my goodness when they do unveil this freaking feast it is like blah, ridiculous and it's like classic yeah. french cuisine like 18th century cuisine it's amazing oh, well. so yeah. is it one of those things kind of like the movie chocolat where they when they show the the food it's almost filmed in a sexual way Oh, it has to be because it's just so goddamn, yeah. oh, so goddamn beautiful. And the weird thing though is that like the weird like beer bread that they would make in the beginning, even that looked kind of good. Because mm-hmm. people used to joke at this um, Vietnamese restaurant I worked at that I ate like a French prisoner because I couldn't eat any protein, <laughs> so I'd take a loaf of bread huh. and then I'd cover it with gravy and like a little sliver of like a a sliced potato, and that was like my lunch. Right. That's something. I mean, there's nothing wrong with if you've got a good gravy and a hearty piece of bread that doesn't turn into mush when you... I mean, you're reminding me of my uh, great-grandma. We... um, What was... I don't know if I even know her real name, but we called her Nana, but uh, (laughs) she lived to be 103 or something, and she would eat these absolutely Depression-era meals for breakfast of just chopping up bread and putting sugar on it and dumping milk on it. Yeah, that's, that's delicious. The, the, what's that thing? Um, royal lunch. It's like these big biscuit crackers, and you crunch them in a bowl and put um, milk or cream in half and half and uh, sugar on top. It's a uh, very British bowl. Yeah, interesting. Um, what's another food sort of scene in pop culture that, that jumps out for you, Thrasher? So one that, that also sticks with me. So the... Uh... 1971 Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory mm. opens. Yes, the opening yes. credits play with this beautiful sweeping symphonic score over uh, an assembly line making different chocolate treats. And it's uh, and normally when I see food being made by assembly line, it is the least appetizing thing I've ever seen, <laughs> except in this movie. The chocolate looks so rich and and sumptuous and is so well filmed i don't care that it's being popped out like by a machine it's like the machine loves me and wants me to enjoy this candy (laughs) and 
And it kind of goes beyond that because that scene just gets me really hungry, gets me really craving chocolate. It's it's I can I've I've been in a real chocolate factory and it's and and what I'm seeing on screen smells better than a real chocolate factory because a real chocolate factory that's the scent of being cocoa being processed is overpowering to the point of being nauseating. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. But in this in this this opening credit sequence, it's it's great. But beyond that, I want to taste every candy in that sweet shop that Charlie keeps going to. I want to taste their lemon sticks. I want to taste the scrum diddly umptious bars. Everything in that shop seems to have a unique texture and color. And and, and surely it, everything must have a truly unique flavor. And that's something I really want to experience. Now, once we get into the chocolate factory, strangely enough, I don't want to try most of what's in the chocolate factory, particularly those mushrooms filled with slime. Uh-huh. Uh, which I assume is just like eating stale frosting. Um, although I, the, the little flower teacup that Willy Wonka drinks from and then eats, that I have always wanted to try. It's another one of the things where my head has assigned this sort of mildly sweet, mildly aromatic flavor to. And, and I love that little touch where he starts to eat the teacup. It is my understanding that that was just wax. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure it tasted worse than nothing when Gene, not that you can see it in Gene Wilder's face when he's eating it. But again, I, like in my head, I'm imagining something kind of crispy, but kind of sweet. Maybe it tastes a little bit like apple and rose water. Like that's, that is something from a movie. I've all, I wish I could experience that in reality. Have you ever had a fun dip? I uh, no. yes, yes, I have. So, you know, the, the dip it stick that you eat, that's what I always thought it would taste like. Like, huh. Like chalky but sweet, kind of like you know something that can crack. That was yeah, my I, teacup flavor. I was never allowed <laughs> to have fun to pixie sticks we had, so I mean it's not so different. I wonder. <laughs> but um, yeah, you mentioned the assembly line thing. I thought it was something I haven't heard of in years. It was I must have seen, been shown this at school by substitute teachers at least half a dozen times. This is a 1960 short film uh, based on the the original uh, books uh, from the 40s by Robert McCloskey. I am talking about a, uh, a short film called The Donuts, where huh. a little boy, where a boy goes, and I think he's working for uh, like a, a donut shop, and a, a woman loses her wedding bracelet in the donut machine. Oh, and no. they have to go, and they have to go through the donuts to find, I mean, it's this really kind of like, Oh, gee, like leave it to Beaver kind of shit. But the -hmm. the scenes of the assembly line of the donuts being made, like they really go into that process. And and that side of industrial footage, I think, is really interesting. And they make the donuts look very good, even though they're just, you know, a a simple, plain cake donut, which I think is one of my favorite kind of donuts sometimes. I just want the, the kind of yeasty um thing that has a bit of a bite to it not not the i'm not a big fan of the crispy cream donuts where it's um just all sugar and they're kind of papery yeah a plain cake donut is uh something of an art to get right donuts are actually incredibly hard to make so some are oh, yeah. yeah we've um we've made some at home and they just get well one i mean it's like when you're making real stuff without preservatives they always go bad really quickly but yeah. but two it's it's to keep it really heavy greasy um yeah you're right it, it's Donuts are almost sort of like eggs, where you think they'd be easy, but they actually can be quite difficult. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's like you can't just, uh, you know, 
make cake batter and shape it into a ring and fry it or bake it or whatever. It's a it's a mixture of it's a mixture of baking and actual um, like pastry making, I guess, is the term I'm looking mm-hmm. for. You know, you can slap some shit together and make a cake, sure, but like to actually make like, you know, bread that can rise, uh, popovers that pop over um, is something of an art. And to do both at the same time, it's practically what I would refer to as alchemy. <laughs> well, it, so it don't, with, a well, donut story. Um, so going back to when I, when I went to Universal Studios, uh, Florida, Voodoo Donuts has mm. a shop there. Yeah, they're based out of Portland, Oregon. Very familiar. Yeah, and and I remember when when I visited you in Portland, you know, you you had like warned us to not bother with Voodoo Donuts. We went to two other donut places, which were very nice. So yes. we went to this Voodoo Voodoo Donuts, and it was shocking how uneven the quality was. <laughs> we we That's got true a whole, real one too. Yeah. yeah, we got a whole bunch, and like half of them were some of the best donuts I've ever had, and the other half were vomitous. Oh. And there was mm-hmm. no middle ground. They were either super good or super bad. And like, and some of them, like there was one, I don't even remember what it was called or what the theme was, but it was basically just a cheap Kroger eclair that had a pixie stick dumped on top with no thought about how those flavors and textures were going to interact. Oh, that's I sucks. mean, that's their, their titular voodoo donut. That's the famous one where... Um, I think it has red jam or something on the inside. I, I mean, they, listen, I'll, I'll tell you what, like even locals in Portland, even when they, before um, Voodoo Donut was featured like in Playboy magazine and stuff, because they had it, because the one in Portland, at least, I don't think they have this at Universal. They have a big donut that looks like a penis and it has cream inside and it's covered oh, in chocolate. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the thing is, is quite large. It's, um, it's the kind of gag gift you would maybe do once as a novelty. Yeah. Like a bachelor um, party or something. Uh, it, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a very popular item on the menu, from what I understand. But um, they, you know, their big gimmick, do they have this at the um, Universal one, Thrasher, where it's like cereal on top of the donut? Yes, they had several of those. Yeah, Cocoa Puffs and that sort of thing, Frosted Flakes. That's their big thing. I mean, but the main thing that got them famous in, in town, and this was before, I've lived out here since 2006, and this was uh, before, this was maybe in the 90s when this happened, but they had two kind of donuts that were like jelly donuts, but instead of jelly donuts, one had cough syrup and one had Pepto-Bismol. Oh. And they got nailed by the FDA because you're... do that. uh, Right, because you're technically selling food as medicine. Yeah, it's the kind of food medicine. It's a big no-no, yeah. Controlled substance. Pepto-Bismol, I don't know why anyone would want to, like, go hard on that, but... Yeah, no. Like, you can't go to a restaurant and, and have somebody, like, the mater you can't like hand you an aspirin like right and this is i mean i was like on a a, a cruise ship recently just because they happen to be um somewhat cheaper that, that no one's really doing the cruises uh, that much uh any that that business has been hit hard but anyhow you know yeah if you don't have um that like the seasick medicine you can't always buy it on the ship like you're kind of screwed or, or, if you, or if you do if you can get it it has to be from a particular spot and they charge like 30 dollars for a little pack of pills right yeah, like, um, I've had to, like, catch people at my job before, because, like, a regular, like, oh, do you have any aspirin? I'm like, you can't give a customer aspirin. That's medicine. I'm like, if it can kill Bruce Lee, it can kill anyone. Um, yeah, it's one thing if employees are giving each other aspirin, which I guess you technically shouldn't be doing either, but, like, who cares? Right. Like, if it's not prescription stuff, like, who really cares? But regardless, um, 
So, okay. I mean, so we, we've talked a little bit about some scenes and, and films and stuff with, with food and uh, everything. Why don't we move on to her favorite snacks at the movies? Because there's a lot of those that, like, they just don't taste as good when you eat at home. All right. So I guess we should do a poll first, though. Are you yes. a buy the overpriced snacks at the concession stand person, or are you smuggling a bunch of shit in a trench coat person? Um, I yeah, I start. Typically, I believe we have a moral obligation to sneak food in under the radar. Yes, <laughs> that, that is that is my first inclination. I can get better stuff at a better price that I will just bring in. I do I do have an, an exception is that I do have a kind of love for cheap movie theater popcorn, so I still will sometimes buy that. You kind of you have to you you have there's an obligation to, <laughs> to to sneak some shit in whether it's food, beer, liquor, whatever. Um, but also, I mean, it's not a movie without popcorn and butter. And also, they've been putting out those, um, those like flavored Jacko things that it's basically like flavored oh, salt, oh, like, yes. like white yeah, cheddar, yeah. barbecue, mm-hmm. bacon. And those things are bad. They're they should be illegal. I will freaking freebase that shit. It is so goddamn good. The bacon and cheddar one. Oh my god. I like the they have a like a pickle one, sort of like dill, basically. Oh wow, yeah. It, they ba- I mean, they basically have bad. They have it all. Yeah, the cocaine popcorn topping. Yes, exactly. Uh, is. No, but um, right. Uh, what about you, Alex? You, your 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 team sneak stuff in as well, right? I, I when I was younger, more so. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, also, like I I'm turning into my father, I guess. I'm I'm Mister, you know, like oh, buttered popcorn and flavor powder. That's all I need. You know, I'll eat like one bowl <laughs> every five minutes. You know. Um, <laughs> And more and more lately, I just I'll usually just like drink some water. Uh, that's fun. But no, you got the one thing that kind of blew my mind though was that um, a friend of mine got buttered popcorn and um, what do you call it? A the uh, the chocolate covered little rice snacks there. Crazy nuts? No. No. I, Bunch uh, of crunch. Goobers or whatever. No, goobers are raisins. Goobers are the, the chocolate covered rice snacks and dump them into the popcorn and it was freaking <laughs> magic it was so good yeah, I mean, that was uh, a big thing when i was growing up a lot of my peers would put milk duds on into the popcorn yeah i never thought of that as brilliant it's not right. bad it's not the kind of thing i want to have all the time even back no. then but it is nice they go together yeah no it's definitely a compliment roger ebert excuse me ebert would do that with the um what's the chocolate mint candy Oh, Junior Mints? Yeah, he did that with Junior Mints. It's very small. It's a Junior Mint. To me, that sounds disgusting. Like, I don't even like the, the sticky texture of the butter from the popcorn on, on my hand much to begin with. But I, I might. am I right in saying that I'm the only one of us three that worked at a movie theater? Yeah, I've never worked at one. You are correct. I have had many close friends that did work at ones, and I was the annoying friend that hung out. So I feel like I kind of did by proxy. Yeah, so you got, you got the hookup a lot is what you're saying. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... It's for one, it's like the easiest job anyone can ever have in, in a lot of ways, but it's also the pay is always like the worst. Oh, yeah. In, in my experience. Um, and I, I worked at chains. I, I didn't work at, you know, kind of small, cool, hip theaters. But I mean, how they make their money is concessions. Oh, that totally. being said, I would sneak in beers all the time until they made oh, it yeah. legal. And that was in the beer in, uh, uh, how do you put it? 
like contraband beer always tastes better than the real than oh totally a <laughs> well, also, get off the tab. I mean, if I'm gonna sit through a two hour movie and at the rate that I drink, I'm not gonna that one twelve ounce freaking nine dollar IPA I get at the concession <laughs> stand ain't gonna right. cut the mustard. I need at least like five. Yeah, no, I I, I hear you, and um, I mean when I came out first moved out to Oregon, the the, the beer stuff in theaters. Uh, it was really big here, and I almost felt like scandalous. I mean, wait, you can pay for it? Yeah, that, I that's know, not right? as fun. Like, I, I yeah. mean, now you see it everywhere because they're, they're having to do it to supplement their income. But I mean, yeah, the, the the price of popcorn is not great, and um, I don't. So, so I, when I worked at the theater, the best I saw of people sneaking stuff in was uh, one woman snuck a whole rotisserie chicken in. <laughs> nice. And like that, that's a noisy thing to eat, and. Uh, have you all ever read, uh, and I have seen people sneak a whole bucket of fried chicken in, but have you all sure. ever read uh, Kevin Murphy's collection of essays, A Year at the Movies? It's been a long time, but no. yes, he was one of the hosts on um, uh, Mystery Science Theater, right? Yes, yeah, he was the second Tom Servo, and he 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 played that part for like nearly a decade. But uh, yeah, he he did a, after the show was canceled. Uh, one of the several, one of the times it was canceled, uh, he he did this project where he uh, went to see one movie every day. But he tried to every week sort of like pick a theme, and mm. one of the days was I believe it was like Christmas Day, and he paid for his whole family to go see monsters inc and they snuck in a whole christmas dinner and <laughs> it basically it basically involved him getting an old giant coat and his wife turning it into a fat suit that could conceal all these tupperware <laughs> containers and he even had like an old ironing board up his back, which they set up as a table in front of him and the whole family <laughs> ate christmas dinner in the theater that's that's fabulous. Yeah, I mean, back in the day when I was sneaking stuff in, I would use a jacket, this dumb jean jacket with all these pockets and stuff. And uh, oh yeah. But if you if you're not that I'm recommending this, but if you're sneaking in beer bottles and stuff, you have to like learn to walk and move and sit a certain way to not draw focus to yourself. Oh yeah, no, it's mighty difficult. With the clinking, uh-huh. you you only take off the top of the beer bottle when there's an explosion or something. Like there's right. <laughs> there is an art to it, definitely. Yeah. So well, I see- think. The most elaborate thing that I was able to sneak in, and this was the help of like three other people, was a case of beer, a bottle of vodka, and fish tacos. Nice. So now we fish took a tacos. Case of beer. That's quite. Yeah, that one was yeah. just blind luck because I had them in my bag and they just didn't check it. Um, oh. uh, but between us, we had each taken like three or four beers. I stuck like three in my waist and a couple in like my inside jacket pocket, so we each had like four each, and it was immaculate and it was really well timed because it was for the second hobbit film which i as we all know not a big fan so i'm glad we were able to get smashed and watch that because i don't think i could do it again sober (laughs) yeah i mean you're giving me an idea i wonder if there's theaters in the states where uh marijuana is legal where they can um have that for sale in the lobby or something Probably, I bet there's something, or like uh, edibles. I bet. Although, yeah, admittedly, that's like that's the kind of viewing experience that's very easy to pre-game if you time it right. Yes, yes. And there, there is a an excellent essay from someone who, uh, oh, was it? 
I don't know if it was on Shud.com. I forget which, which, which website. It, no, maybe it was Birth Movies Death or something before they shut down. But the guy went on, uh, I think had hallucinogens for the first time oh. and then went to see the movie Cats. And <laughs> he had to be escorted out of the theater less than halfway through it. Like he could, and he, and he wrote about it. It's a very funny piece of writing. Because <laughs> uh, that movie's Rum a lot. Tugger is a delirious cat. Uh, yeah, he could feel Rum Tucker's breath on the back of his neck. It was that, that sort of <laughs> complete lunacy. But um, but right. So as far as snacks, like if I'm going, but yeah, I mean making movie theater popcorn. I get kind of nauseous at the smell. But I, I went to see Glass Onion recently, and like I was able to enjoy it then. Yeah. Um, so that's. But usually I'll just kind of avoid it because I, I I I ate so much on the job when I worked at movie theaters a few times. I worked. Um, for those that are wondering, I worked at a general cinema, which uh, used to, I don't know if it's still around, but that was a chain in the South. And then Georgia Theater Company, which is a, a chain um, in the Southeast as well. So, and. Uh, Did they have a corporate mascot that was like a, like a general? Like, I am general theater reporting for duty. I wish. No, it just was this like blue thingamajig. I mean, it was. For being the nice theater in town, the general cinema would always dim the bulb in the projector, even for stuff that was THX approved. So, I mean, back in the day when THX approved theaters, I don't know if they still do that, but they would send a physical person to your store or to your to your um, cinema, and you had to prove that you you do everything according to code. And then, of course, after the inspector leaves, they would just do whatever they wanted. <laughs> they walk around with like a monocle and inspect the circuits and shit. And like, this is not up to code. So, so, something like that. I mean, they're checking exact. the decibel levels. They're checking the. It's a pretty rigorous system, from what I understand. Oh, wow. Well, the thing is, though, if if you if you're not if if your THX system does not pass muster, they send these uh, silver-faced police robots to come. <laughs> yes, they zap you <laughs> with those long cattle prod things. Robert Duvall uh, lectures you personally. They shave your head and make you bland. Yeah, um, it's quite something. But yeah, but to the topic of like movie theater candy, I was, I don't go to the movies as, as much as I used to anymore. I think partially because of the pandemic and just because everything hits streaming so fast that it, it's more of a saving money thing, I guess. Or you, people have been conditioned now just to watch everything at home. And the, the home TVs, the picture and sound are quite good. Like it's not, I, I don't think it's quite like before when, uh, the TVs were the four by three aspect ratio, the, you know, the big heavy tube TVs and where the sound was, was shit and the picture wasn't very good either. It also goes back to like 2011, 2012 when everything went digital. Yes. I'm like, you know what? I just got a fucking new 4k television and it's pretty damn big and it's probably going to look the same. It's not going to have the great speakers and you know, the, the theater lighting and everything, but yeah, you know, shave a few bucks. I don't have to sneak anything around. Right. You can, uh, pause it and go to the toilet i had to go to the exactly uh, I, I make sure to go to the bathroom before going to a movie so i don't have to take a break if i can't help it but i had oh to no that's where in... i put the 4k television it's actually in my bathroom <laughs> ah nice nice yeah you can get uh all, all 4ks right within uh, easy reach but the um <laughs> going and uh what i saw glass onion which is you know like a mystery movie and i went to the bathroom like during a very important scene it was really annoying oh and I didn't like miss the the who done it sort of part of it, but they were going through. It was like the most enjoyable part of those movies where they go through all the theories and they're in a room and they're explaining. Well, I think it was this person because of this, right. this, and this. And so I would have liked to have 
seen it, but um, but anyhow, you know, with, with, as far as like snacks and, and candy and stuff, I really like dark chocolate raisinets, and that's something I, I sneak in sometimes because you cannot find that at the movie theater. Like the the selection is not what it used to be. I think I didn't for, know they existed for candy. Uh, it might be off the market now, but for a, a bit you could find them. The, the shame was it's not very good dark chocolate, but oh, but if you have like a superior. Like that same product, I think, from a better um, chocolatier, so to speak, would be quite good because you get the richness of the dark chocolate with the sweetness. And it's not like the milk chocolate where it's like sweet on top of sweet, if you um, follow. Right. Um, what's a good um, movie theater snack? If you are, if you're feeling uh, um, lush and, and want to, lush, that's not quite the right word. But, um, you know, if you, <laughs> if you want to buy a legit confection at a theater, what are you going to get? What kind of candy? So something that I think is is underrated, and growing up, I thought this was only available in theaters because it was the only place I ever saw them. I really, li- I really like snow caps. Ooh, those are I mean, good. Can you describe you those? I don't think I've ever had them. Um, so is it a chocolate yeah. chip or something? Yeah, it's it's basically a chocolate chip that's a little larger than average, but it's covered in these like white sprinkles. So you get a good chocolate taste, but it's not overpowering. It's not too sweet. And then you get this nice kind of satisfying crunch as you bite into the sprinkles on top. And it's just like, it's like, it's one of the few candies where like, it's more enjoyable to eat them one at a time. You don't want to just like throw in a handful. Mm. Now, and it, and, I've, and it also can go well with popcorn. If you want to throw it on top, I personally prefer them separate. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's like a chocolate button with white, white sprinkles they are quite tasty. In your uh, neck of the woods, Alex, what are some? Do you notice that you have candy in theaters there that you don't see elsewhere, perhaps when you're traveling? So there was one um, little art house theater we had out in the Cape, and it was great because, like, in concert with their MO, they didn't have, like, you know, they didn't have, like, Butterfingers or MMs or anything. They had, like, lint white chocolate square bars. Um, they had, like, you know, like white truffle uh, fucking, you know, lint chocolates, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, that's what they yep. sold for concessions. And it was actually awesome because I love that shit. Um, so that was one of my favorites. But uh, if you want like old school, something I loved as a kid, something I love now, the mini Butterfinger Bites. The Butterfinger BBs? Oh, man, different? I wish they still made them, those too. But yeah, they made like, you know, the fun size, like Halloween Butterfinger size? It oh, was like a box square. of those. Yeah. yeah, it was like a box yes. of those like unwrapped. Yep. And they were so goddamn good. And they get all melty, and that was even better because just the Butterfinger without the chocolate coating is actually better. No one, no one will admit it, but me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's just like, oh, that's the best candy ever. Nice. Yeah, one um, one theater snack that I wasn't able to get just because they didn't advertise it, which is typical uh, Portland, Oregon. You, they'll have something cool, but because they want everything to be. Like you have to be part of a secret club to know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I went to the theater uh, shortly after I moved here to, and it was I didn't have a car, so it took me like over an hour to get to the damn theater, uh, the, the big art house, and it was the David it was the most recent David Lynch theatrical film, which was nearly twenty years ago, huh. and it was what was the name of that thing? It was with Laurel Hurst or, or not? Uh, Inland Empire. Yeah, thank you, Inland Empire. Yeah. It's, um for me, not an easy watch. No. And, but in the lobby, they sold uh, 
fresh coffee from David Lynch's uh, oh. coffee thing. And I didn't oh, get to try it because nowhere in the theater do they have signs saying we're serving David Lynch's coffee, which you think would be an easy sell. <laughs> do you want a tall or a venti? <laughs> Matt, I'm pleased as punch that you enjoy my nice brew. It's Perhaps nice and hot and, and black. Film. Even better if you get it with my limited edition lime green disc of uh, Wild at Heart on DVD. It's full frame, mind you, but I approve this picture, not the version from Doopity Doo Pictures in Massapequa, New York. The real version is coming from David Lynch Studio sometime in 2036. Please be patient. Matt, I think it's a great anecdote. Furthermore, you could enjoy my coffee with a few packs of American Spirit Blue Cigarettes. That's my brand. The current Here, enjoy weather... some biscotti. It, it's on the house. And he hands over a plate of biscotti, but they're all screaming. <laughs> it is now 62 degrees Fahrenheit in Los Angeles. Very sunny day. You know, there's something about the sun. It's in the sky and it's yellow. See you tomorrow, kids. <laughs> All proceeds will go towards a charity that is researching new treatments for Bozeman Simplex. I can't talk right now because I just realized that I need to paint a picture of fear. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, that would have been really a trip to have the David Lynch coffee and see what it's all about. Apparently, some Whole Foods sell an organic David Lynch house blend, but you can also just order it um, <laughs> online, which I, I I probably should do someday. For a second, I just thought that they sold like a miniaturized version of David Lynch's house. I didn't hear coffee. You can buy uh, a miniaturized version of my house. <laughs> I have to say his his YouTube is, is pretty cool and he shows all these crazy inventions that he's made for his workshop. Oh, yeah, he's fucking awesome. Man. I love that man. Um, that awesome documentary um there's a uh, david lynch the art life it's all about his painting and his other arts his non-filmic arts and they're fucking it's so cool the other one that's quite good is on the um, blu-ray set for the twin peaks the return which was the, the showtime sort of twin peaks season three thing if you will um it has maybe like 90 minutes or two hour documentary or just fly in the wall stuff of just david lynch you get to watch him work and um he's a man of strong opinions like he doesn't seem like an asshole really but he doesn't he he also seems like a man that just doesn't take fools lightly no yeah he's the real deal um yeah he uh he does what he stick he sticks by his sticks with his guns sticks uh, with his convictions and uh we're all the better for it yeah i do hope we we see lynch do something else i mean it's um but on the other hand i i bet he doesn't need the money or whatever but there's been rumors of him maybe wanting to do a new cut of Dune after the, the new version did so well. Oh, despite cool. the fact that he's been talking shit about his version of Dune for a while being compromised. So right. like, if they can find that footage of the work print, like three and a half hour cut or whatever that he screened in That'd Mexico awesome. for the cast and crew, like that's something I hope to see. I'm not sure if we'll see it. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd in be his crazy. lifetime necessarily. But it, yeah, I think cause that's, Dune has, has been a, a big seller, and that has nothing to do with food in the movies exactly. So, um, um, uh, Alex, why don't you go? Food is hard to come by on Iraq, as, as I'm told. 
Maybe you have to eat the mice. Sandworm. You have to eat the mice and milk the cats. You do get to drink your own pee, which is close to another reference to eating poop, which Alex seems very keen on lately. I want to show you my new invention. It's a juice box with a scarab in it, and you just sort of crush the scarab and drink the scarab juice. All jokes aside, I kind of wanted to eat that ear Kyle McLaughlin found in Blue Velvet. Actually, as long as, to tie this back into our topic... I do want to know what that like what that Beetlejuice uh, tastes like in Dune. That is such like it seems like in Lynch's Dune, of course, it seems like such a decadent way to drink what I can only assume is some sort of weird narcotic like in my head uh, in my head. So, you know, did you all have when you were kids that drink where it's like a fruit punch drink, but it comes in like a plastic barrel with foil on top? I hated those. Yeah, they look like little grenades. Oh no, they're terrible. In oh, my yeah. head, in my head, it tastes like that, but watered down and gets you real fucked up. I remember, I remember at a cookout, they had those little juice things, and I was so thirsty. Instead of drinking the juice, I just drank the melted ice water. Hmm. Well, welcome to our new podcast, Lynch by Lynch, where we, <laughs> where we exclusively uh, review films while impersonating David Lynch. I I want to see the Fablemans almost exclusively for David Lynch's cameo as John Ford. <laughs> what? Yeah. I didn't know this. I'm fucking seeing that movie right now. Fuck everything else. They had to ask David Lynch, I think, three times for him to agree to do it. No. Well, he, he's like he's like like an like a magical elf creature. You have to ask him three times, but then he's bound to do it. Yeah. You have to leave a, a curtain of cigarettes, some some Denny's chocolate malts. <laughs> and uh, and a bag of oh man, there's David Lynch will have to be at. I mean, this is frankly almost a David Lynch episode at this point. But <laughs> there's, there's, there's a fantastic clip people were throwing around of uh, from one of the documentaries on the DVDs of, of David Lynch is just driving in a car, and he's high off sugar because he's eaten like five chocolate chip cookies and two Coca Colas, and he's like, "This is great. Life doesn't get better than this." Two cookies and a Diet Coke. Oh, make that two Diet Cokes. This is tremendous. <laughs> I, okay, I got to get this out of my system because this came into my head when we started the David Lynch tangent. <laughs> Hello, I'm Werner Herzog from Werner Herzog's Spam Logs, a delicious treat. I was yeah. haunted and appealing and I found it very enchanting, but I had to eat a rose petal donut with Donald Trump. It was a haunting experience that was also a beloved one. Grizzly man. Do you have Rick, the baby? Yeah, I got nothing. Um, McDonald's French fries tasted much better when they were made in beef fat and not peanut oil. That's correct. I, I ate a cheeseburger with Klaus Kinski. Then he threw it at the Mater D and told him to eat his shit. Klaus was very mercurial, dangerous, and passionate. He is a fiend and a friend, and I miss him dearly. But if I saw him today, I'd probably kick him in the balls. My you favorite know, if, if you like Herzog, the new... the kind where it's sort of banana flavor, but it's like got Oreo crumbs on it. The new season of Documentary Now has a two-part uh, premiere that's uh, a spoof of um, the, the Klaus Kinski-Herzog thing. Oh, wow. Yes. 
I I I don't Quite like Herzog. I love Herzog. I am a fucking Herzog maniac. Um, thank you for saying those nice things about my folk, Alex. Okay, so, so you I mean, had so, so Herzog spam logs. What were they like? Yeah, they the, were enchanting like... and dangerous. <laughs> Everything has to be, um, you know, uh, scary and beautiful. Yes, I, I love I the one. Scrutiful. There's a rusted tractor across the street from my studio. It is haunting, and yet I want to make love to it. I saw a slug slithering on the edge of a razor. I once had a beer with Marlon Brando. He talked about the environment. I found it very boring, and yet I could not turn away. Sit right back, and you'll hear a tale. A tale of a faithful trip. Damn it. Okay. Let's <laughs> Yeah, food. <laughs> to to wrap this up, please. I don't mean to be rude, but I am. Um let's a big trend in movie theaters uh we've we've seen recently is higher end cuisine. H- have you had one of these sort of, you know, sit down meals at a theater? And if so, is there one you've enjoyed? I, I think I'll start. We um I don't know if it's still around, but there's a really cool theater in town that each uh, cinema maybe sat up to 10 people and it wasn't chairs it was like couches with these little like the tables are awful they need to replace the tables but it, it, it felt like a like they had a sommelier um, you could get you know a hot dog it, it, it you know you could even get like steak and stuff like that but I mean it was or like a pasta dish and um, this sommelier thing and they even had like champagne and stuff that was or, or alcohol that was, you know, tied into the films or whatever. I think it just made it like a really neat experience. And that's that I think that's something that that I enjoyed in particular. It was kind of a, I think it was a, like bacon cheese fries, but it was done with really high quality ingredients. Yeah, they had one of those in my hometown. Like they they altered the original theater to be one of those. And I got like pulled pork and onion rings or something. It was pretty good. Um, it was kind of weird. Because it's like, oh, I'm 10 minutes into Juno, which is a movie we saw. Um, speaking and of I can food, hear my orange... mouth chomping at the pork. Yeah. 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 Or, you know, they're like, what can you like? I'm like, I'll get the pulled pork. In the background, it's like, <laughs> Michael Sarah had lots of orange Tic Tacs. We're quirky and indie. Oh, this will hold yeah, up it, well. It, it, that is something that is awkward when they deliver the food in pure darkness or the, the tables are not well. Uh, thought of and so you're having to precariously balance your food on your knees as you try not to spill a, a thirty dollar <laughs> entree on your lap while you're trying to yeah follow dialogue or it was something. dangerous and uncomfortable to be in. I prefer not to eat when I watch a film. Ideally what you do is what what I'd recommend is you go in there early, you order your meal and then you try and shotgun it during the trailer. But at that point you feel like you're kind of wasting your food because you're bolting your food like Oliver Twist. Yeah, exactly. Thrasher, have you been to one of these establishments? Yeah, the, so the first one I've been into, I've, I've went to, uh, this was in Portsmouth, Virginia, not too far from where I grew up. There's a historical theater called the Commodore, and it got completely renovated, I think, in the 80s. And one of the things they added is you can eat there. Uh, and so if you're on the ground level, it's much more like actual restaurant seating, but you still, anywhere you sit in the theaters, you still have like a little thing you can, you can put food on. Um, 
And I bring them up because they are still the best place I've ever gotten food. Like Ooh. they have a, uh, and they're still open. So definitely, you know, check, check them out. I haven't been there in, in years cause I haven't lived there in years. Uh, but I, I, I would presume it's still good. So definitely check out the Commodore in Portsmouth. They had a really nice nacho platter, which was a great thing to get to, to share with your friends, but they had one of the best chicken salad sandwiches I have ever had. It's a huge, it was a huge chicken salad sandwich. It's like, it, it's like somehow they got it fresh from a New York deli and had it teleported to the theater. That is how good the sandwich was. Damn. And nothing has ever lived up to that. Some places have come close, but that's still my, my high benchmark for these places. Um, we did have a movie tavern uh, in Kentucky which changed owners and unfortunately the food quality went really downhill after they changed owners uh to the point where we really don't get food there anymore their cocktails are still good we'll get a cocktail there but the food is just not worth it do they do tie-in cocktails yes yes they do Although I think they only just have a rotation of six cocktails and they always just figure out a way to change the name to match whatever movie's coming right, out. Right, yeah. Like something red in it will be blood for the vampire movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, yeah. they have like a really nice like peanut butter and jelly cocktail and I've seen applied to three different movies. <laughs> nice, yeah. You would, um... I'm trying to think of the most ridiculous like what I don't think would make a good movie theater food is like pasta. <laughs> yeah, that's a fucking failure right there. You, you, you need to be able one, to see pasta to eat. You it. could maybe do like fried ravioli. Yeah, like exactly. Pick it up I mean, and eat it, but like not self-contained, like self-contained little like pouch foods. Like I think one of the, I mean, this isn't high-end cuisine by any means, nor does it have to be. But the, um, I've heard them called like Scooby snacks before, but it's like little uh, cocktail wieners in cornbread that are deep fried. Wow. Like to me, that's that's kind of a perfect movie food because yeah. it's not going to make a mess. If you don't have the whole thing in one bite, it's not going to squirt everywhere and make a mess. <laughs> and it's just, uh, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's the salty, you get kind of the sweetness from the corn and the cornbread. It's um, one of those things that's rather pleasant. I, I guess we can we can wrap this up with, if you were going to do like a food pairing with a film, what would you what would you do all right so here i i know what i'm gonna do i'm going to do jaws and with jaws you're gonna get you're gonna get some seafood and you're gonna get some good summer food so so first your drink big old fountain coke uh Preferably Mexican Coke, since that tastes more like the real Coke that was available at the time. Uh, if assuming you can get that in a fountain, um, a nice uh, a nice piece of fried fish. Uh, I'm not gonna bother with like the fries would be more of a garnish, so I wouldn't even bother with the fries. But instead, you'd get some other Fourth of July beach food. So you'd get like a chili dog, uh, and then just because there should be something approaching a vegetable, uh, you'd get some celery sticks with something to dip them in. Ooh. But you gotta have that fish. You gotta have a nice big fried fish fillet. Very good. Um, Alex? My ideal one, this is simple, but it's gonna make all the sense in the world. 
Chocolate with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. No, that's stupid. Um, Tampopo with a goddamn pork ramen bowl. Oh! Mic drop. Very good. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe some, you could throw in as an extra tchotchke, some themed uh, chopsticks with Tampopo logo on it that you could, you know, buy for an extra $5 or whatever it is. Tamp chopstick. Go, oh, no, 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 it's not there. Yeah, I would. Um, Damn, Jumbo. Do my my, my uh, thing would be uh, the Blues Brothers, and there would just be two things on the menu: the Jake or the Elwood. The Elwood would be dry toasted white bread, and if you get the Jake, it's four fried chickens and a Coke. <laughs> and nice. some skull vodka to finish it off. Yep. Um, yes, a a, a a crystal teeny or whatever Dan Aykroyd calls it. Did a I fucking actually... edible fucking alien candy. <laughs> yeah, did, did I tell you I actually bought one of those? Oh, the fucking uh, the skull vodka. Yeah, it was really um, hard to find, despite the fact that here in Oregon oh, are pretty close to Canada. But the, I the think liquor we have stores in a local uh, package store right here, just no one buys it, so I think it's accessible. <laughs> but it's, yeah, so it's, the, the thing that like as a conversation piece. The skull is quite nice. I think we have flowers in it right now or something. The vodka is very plain tasting vodka, where if you like vodka for the taste of vodka, you'll like it. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, and I, I, I like vodka quite a bit, actually. So I did enjoy it. And yet I think for most people, they they're expecting maybe a flavored vodka or I, I don't quite know what, what people expect from a vodka, but it's but. I don't understand why the reviews have been sort of negative. And what I'm really interested in trying to find, in fact, I, I contacted um, the the distillery in Canada and got shut down pretty quickly. I said, can I have some review vodkas? And they, <laughs> with with the typical Canadian politeness says, we never send people review copies of our liquor, which that A, that's not true, but B, uh, especially not outside of Canada. Like it was a bit of a snippy response, which is fair enough. Um, but yeah. they have some, like the one was kind of like a, a gay pride tie in gay skull or not gay skull. <laughs> the, the skull <laughs> a rainbow it skull? had like this neat kind of rainbow stuff going on if the light hit it a certain way. They had oh, one cool. that was onyx that was like pure black looking like they have some cool. But when you if you find it in a liquor store, it's the regular like clear one, which it's a cool design. I, I'm, I'm fine. I paid $50 for it. I wouldn't pay $50 for another bottle of that varietal. But if I yeah. saw maybe like one of these black or the rainbow, these limited edition, they have one where like a painter painted all this cool like uh, um, Day of the Dead stuff on it. Right. Like I would, I would gladly pay fifty or maybe a hundred if it was cool enough looking for one of those to have visit because at least it's an art piece you can put somewhere and put your M and M's in it or whatever you want to do with it. Yeah, your spare change or what have you, or a better vodka. Uh, that too, yes. <laughs> I just oh. buy some Luxus Sova. Now that's a yum. Now that's a yummy vodka, Alex. I'll have a glass with you any day of the week. You're my new best friend. Does David Lynch drink alcohol? I I'm wondering that. Probably He's, not much. He smokes a lot. Yeah, I he did. Doesn't strike me as a drinker. Mm-hmm. Or like I could see him, you know, like I'll have a glass of wine at Christmas time. A nice Beaujolais. Yeah. The Frank Booth vodka. It's infused with oxygen. I'll have a beer with you, Alex. You're so cool. I want you to write my next picture. Oh, thanks, David. Now, you you see, we um, have Twin Peaks. What if it was Triplet Peaks? 
We would have loved that Sugar one. by the Dozen by David Lynch. We're Fuck calling God. my coffee shop twin perks. No nice. one's ever done that. The logo is the upside down Twin Peaks symbol with drips coming out of it. <laughs> my um, ex-girlfriend. Try, try the special where you take a Twin Try you, you have the slice of damn good cherry pie and you just put it in a cup and put damn good hot black coffee on top of it. Then you just drink it and the coffee and the pie becomes a, it actually sounds kind of good, becomes yeah, a, yeah. A, a sort of sludge at the bottom. Fantastic. Um, God, on that note, hope you enjoyed this episode. of I look forward to working with David Dukofty again. Uh, that's right. He was in, that was one of the best parts of Twin Peaks. That yeah, we heard, actually, when, when his awesome character. Account. Have you seen, we, we certainly talked about Twin Peaks a lot in college, Thrasher, but did you ever watch The Return? <laughs> I, I saw like two episodes. The part that really sticks in my mind is Michael Sarah's cameo. That's great. <laughs> Where he gives that great speech about America. And in effect, it inspired me to, to go and watch the Marlon Brando film because I'd never seen the wild one. And the speech he gives isn't that different from the one in the real film. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that the delivery of it is um, quite something. All right, so uh, let's. Why don't we wrap up with the quick which what you're watching, and then we'll um, shut this puppy down. <laughs> so I was um, been watching some interesting things lately, but the most recent one that I just wrapped up was a, a television series on Netflix called Wednesday. Oh, I've heard Tim of Burton that. directed the first four episodes. It's the first time he's directed television, as far as I know. And um, he's a producer on it. Danny Elfman does the music. And it, it is sort of like Adam's Family meets Harry Potter, but focused on Wednesday. So there's not as much of the Adam's Family in it as you would think, um, which I think is too bad. But on the other hand, I think for, for what it is, it does sort of grow on you a bit. It's a bit of a murder mystery. It's it's quite bloody in, at times, which I wasn't expecting. And and there's a monster in it that's based off a Tim Burton sketch. And to see Tim Burton's um, weird kind of bug eye, scratchy things given a CG treatment that is faithful is really neat. Yeah. Either of you seen this one or? I I have not, but I made a comment about it on the AV Club review that got 98 stars. What was your comment? Okay, so this is so I this is like my, my comment sums up the review. So they're tedious, not kooky, mediocrities, not spooky. It left me feeling poopy. The Adams Family spinoff series Wednesday. Bump, bump. Nice. So that's what the um, AV Club commentary it likes right there. <laughs> yeah, I especially appreciate that Louise Guzman uh, looks very much like Gomez in the original comics. He looks down like he stepped off the page. Yeah, down to the stupid toothy grin, the hair, the he has um, a darker skin, like uh, uh, in in the color illustrations. Quite something. Um, okay, uh, Thrasher, what are you even watching? Uh, so I watched something that's as far from David Lynch and food as you can get. I saw Morbius. What oh, the hell is it, that? It's it's Morbin time. 
Yeah, it's it's the movie based on the Marvel Comics character, the one that's by Sony, not by Disney. Um, all right, and this this movie has a tortured production history and a really weird relationship with its audience. I'm just gonna get this off the bat. It is not a good movie, but it is not bad in the way you expect. So what, explain what it, Morbius is for our audience that might not know. Okay, so the gimmick behind Morbius, the comic book character, is he's the living vampire. He is not a supernatural monster. He is a a person who had a, a blood disease, and he tried an experimental treatment, and the side effects of the experimental treatment gave him the ability to fly, but also he has to consume human plasma to 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 stay healthy and, and live. So the idea is that he's a scientifically based vampire, not a supernaturally based vampire. And that's kind of what, what drives him forward in the comics and what drives him forward here. <clears throat> but the movie, it's very competently made. Uh, the script overall feels pretty good. Um, very good performances. Nobody's phoning it in. Uh, Matt, I gotta say, Matt Smith is giving it his all and it really works. The the thing the thing with this movie is what this movie is is a very good drama about two best friends united in adversity because they have the same life-threatening medical condition and about how their relationship becomes strained when one of them finds a successful treatment and the other one doesn't. That every 10 minutes gets interrupted by the most goofballs vampire movie you've ever seen. Nice. And, and so mm. oddly enough, the living vampire parts keep holding back this movie. Uh, and it's also just full of a, a very inexplicable choices. Like for instance, one of Morbius's powers is he has like bat echolocation, but the way they render this is first with this weird, like, foggy CGI effect they lay over the environment, but also his ears start to pucker, like, su separating uh, buttholes. <laughs> but. And it's such a distracting effect. And, like, but but everything is like that. Like, every, every vampire thing is so inexplicably weird and goofy that it just, like, distracts you from the parts of the film that are really, really working. <laughs> Yeah, this uh, I remember I was looking stuff up and I was like, ooh, a movie called Morbius. What's that? That sounds cool. I'm like, oh, it's a fucking Marvel thing. I'm not being a Marvel hater. I'm just kind of tired of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I first learned of Morbius in the um, 90s Spider-Man, the animated series where that was a really to, good version of the character. Yeah. Despite the fact that they couldn't show him bite people's necks, so they used. um I don't know, like little oh, suckers they, they on gave his him hands like suction cups on the palms of his yeah. hands, like the M13 creature from Star Trek, which ironically is more terrifying than just being bitten. <laughs> Correct. Um, and and he was voiced by Nick Jameson. It it should be said, who um did a lot of voices like uh, the Emperor in uh, the Tie Fighter video game, and a lot of voices in the Critic too, I believe. So um, there you yes, go. Yes, he but. Did. But but anyhow, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like Sony, because they have the rights to Spider-Man, I don't think they're ever going to give those uh, let those go. They also have the rights to characters that first appeared in Spider-Man, which is why they can do some of these weird um, spinoffs like Morbius. And so so we'll see what happens and if they um, kind of break their partnership with the uh, the Disney Marvel movies or not, because um, that seems to be touch and go and. and uh, or I Disney like, will just buy Sony. 
I mean, that would get them in the video game business with a pretty big hold. I think it's more likely Disney might buy Square Enix or something. Hmm. And have the Final Fantasy, so they can ruin Final Fantasy as well. So, <laughs> Well, you know what's funny? In the, in the 2000s, Disney did attempt to buy Nintendo. I'm sure Nintendo turned them down. Oh, it would yeah, be a lot absolutely of, did. It'd be a lot of money to... Anyhow, um, and I, I learned that Nintendo had love hotels in Japan in the 60s. And so, did Disney get bought by Elon Musk? Uh, Elon Musk that mouse. Fuck so, <laughs> um, that guy. He sucks. I'm going to do some editing this episode. Okay, so... He <laughs> says yes. Uh, all right, so Alex, what about you? Oh, dookie dookie. Um, what have I been watching there, laddie? Oh, boy. Um, I watched a BBC teleplay from 1970-something uh, called A Photograph. Huh. This is a fascinating movie. It's about this kind of like mid-level radio celebrity guy um, and his wife. And his wife's kind of like a unwell. And um, he gets a letter in the mail, no return address. And it's a photograph of these like two looking like kind of like hippie girls like in front of a caravan. And she's like, well, what, what's this shit? Like, is, these are, like, side pieces or something, you know? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I, I get weird shit from fans all the time. I really want to make a thing of it. And she's like, she gets really hung up on it. She, like, blows the picture up, gets, a, like, trying to figure out who they are. She kind of sheds, like, the jealousy thing and then just is just, like, enamored with it. So he decides to actually, like, embark on this road trip to actually find this caravan and find out with the origins of this photo art. And as he gets closer, it gets fucking weirder, man. It's really cool movie. It's called a photograph. Hmm. I can just see it, the, the recut modern trailer. Now look at this photograph. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this Great has been a photograph. This has been if, motherfucker. Yeah, this has been a nothing else, a, a, a one-of-a-kind episode. Um, <laughs> it's, food, it's been a real dog's breakfast of an episode. Yes, indeed. It's been a real episode, kids. Yeah, and I guess we can wrap it up with one last thing. If you had, you know, let's pretend you had the amount of money just to get one candy from a theater, and you were going right now, this very instant, what would you be jonesing for? Reese's Pieces, because that's honestly what I was craving <laughs> when Mm-mm. we started recording. Peanut butter is uh, always good for me. Um, Alex. One of those Snickers ice cream bars. Yes, those are. We got in the habit of buying too much of those for a little bit because um, uh, we go camping with our friends once a year and they yeah. had the. We wanted like something that wasn't food at the campsite. So we bought way too many of those for like $5 a pop at the <laughs> store because we'd have to eat it because if we came back to the place, our friends' kids would see that we had ice cream and it would turn into a thing. Oh, yeah. So like they they would want me. to get chocolate wasted. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes, they would. Um, I would, if I was going to the theater right now, which I can't because it's snowing outside, which is crazy. What? Yeah. Um, looks like it's probably cold enough for it to stick, too. Um, I would eat a mozzarella cheese sticks, I think. Something more savory. Ooh. That's something... Nice. That some of those places I've had before at, at theaters, and it's hard to screw up. Although I had a pretty poor one at an Epcot at Epcot Center. 
not that long ago. But yeah, so I'd say maybe maybe cheese sticks, or if I'm going for a, a, a candy, uh, you know what the uh, sour Skittles if they had them. Ooh, I remember those. They were deliciosa. Or lemon heads. Yeah, those are another good one. Very sour. Okay, well, great. Uh, for um, so I met Bradley Shergi. You can follow me at M A T W B T on Twitter. Uh, this is Thrasher. You can follow me on Instagram uh, at WT2Art. And this is Geraldine Champlin. You can follow me on Twitter at CrabNebula1914. And uh, catch uh, past episodes of the show at SequelCast2.com. For SequelCast2, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. And this is Geraldine. Same. Eat it. Just eat it. It doesn't matter if it's baked or fried, just eat it. Eat it. Don't watch a movie on your phone. It was made for a big screen. If you're going to watch it at home, like with my award-winning series, Twin Peaks, their return, (laughs) buy a sound bar with a nice subwoofer and turn up the volume so loud you can feel it in the back of your teeth. That turned into Jack Nicholson at the end. Alex, let me tell let's you go something, get some Pally. popcorn and watch the new Robert Zemeckis Pinocchio film. I've brought lots of puppets to watch it with us. It might. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll end on, on that. You know the, the David Lynch um, Woody Woodpecker story? No. Do you know this one? Familiar. Thrasher? So at one point in... <sighs> It might have been the. It was either the the 80s or the 90s. I'm thinking more likely the 80s. David Lynch was was just going past a store and they had five Woody Woodpecker dolls on sale. And he was like, "Fine, I'll buy these and I'll put these in my office." <laughs> and he, he, he he gave them all names like, uh, like JoJo and whatever the hell. And, <laughs> and he said he had to get rid of them because they started saying stuff to him and staring at him. <laughs> and like, awesome. That would be a great like documentary. That's my next about movie. what happened to those Woody Woodpeckers, to David Lynch's Woody Woodpeckers, I think. My next movie. Or just like a comedy, like... You know. That too. <laughs> you should make Dune! <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Like, like you periodically walk by and like David Lynch is strangling when I'm like, you'll never take me alive, Emin! <laughs> yeah. mm, juicy burgers, crispy fries and onion rings, coney dogs, frosty A&W Hey, what say we all go to A&W? What a great idea. 